Good evening, this is Tim Akasey from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm pleased to be on this evening with Josh Demuth. Josh, would you please say hi to the audience and tell us a bit a, a bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Th thanks for having me today. Again, my name is Josh Demuth, and I am from uh, the south side of Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, um, about an hour south of Georgia, and or sorry, an hour south of Atlanta. Um, you know, I have wife and kids, and you know, live a pretty happy life down here. Um, you know, as far as professionally, I am a solutions architect at a pretty large technology company, um, and I've been in this role for uh, getting close to about a year now, just a little bit under a year and I've been in the technology industry for uh, about 15 or so years now. Nice. So we worked together in 2007 for a little bit. And then hadn't seen you as a client for 14 years. Yes, that it's is. Been, it's been great to get rekindled. I mean, things changed uh, with, with, with the pandemic, you had to go all of your work was being done online. The webinars where you, your role increased in webinars, which we're gonna talk about that too, because that's been a something that's affected a lot of adults who stutter and teenagers and kids in school. All of a sudden they're, vir they're vir virtual, virtual, I'll say it again. Um, it's just been, I mean, there was a podcast I did a, f a few months ago with, uh, with a, a a banker named 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 Michael Coates, and he had to go virtual in a minute last April, and it's just it it can it can shake up people who stutter more than people who don't stutter. But why don't you describe a little bit about your your childhood? You had mentioned that you, you used to be a quiet kid who looked at, at stuttering as a as a as a negative thing. Yeah, I think my my first memory of stuttering had to be maybe around sixth grade. I'm not sure if I stuttered at all before that, but I just got in to a new school. I didn't really know a lot of people, so I was probably pretty nervous. And I think I was hypersensitive to everything that I was doing and speaking uh, was one of those things. And I definitely have some memories of, of stuttering then. And I think that it, you know, after stuttering, um, you know, more and more, I feel like that that definitely turned me into a more quiet kid. I, I don't know if I was always extremely quiet prior to that. Um, yeah, and I think as with a lot of other people who who stuttered at a young age, those m memories are not the greatest memories. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely feel that it, it impacted my life, um, you know, starting at that young age. Uh, but at the same time, I think once I got comfortable with my with my peers and my friends like I, I I had a you know I would call it a pretty close-knit group of friends in in middle school and I, I think once I you know was able to be more open with them then I, I think that I, I don't have really that many stuttering memories like they would never make make fun of me for it or things like that and also I, I think it's important to, to note that our, our our star basketball player on our team also had a stutter and everybody liked him. Um, you know, he was very out outgoing. And I think that that, you know, I, that helped me out by not getting made fun of, I think, because like 
somebody that was, you know, our star basketball player also had a stutter. And if that wasn't the case, then I, I bet my middle school years would have been a lot worse. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't have that. I wasn't afforded that benefit of <laughs> right. having anyone in my school that uh, I had. There were a few kids who stutter. Their stuttering was different than mine. They knew I stuttered. I knew they stuttered. We never um, really talked about it. But um, we also learned as an adult doing therapy that things from childhood, there's an expression once the frame is set. So if I, have a, if I have a belief such as if I stutter, I'm awkward. If I stutter, kids think I can't read or I'm not smart. Once the frame is set, we can take it with us in, into adulthood. Frame is a frame of reference. It's my belief about stuttering. I've met people, adults, who really did not endure very much bullying or teasing or stupid questions like, why do you talk that way? Yet their temperament was so sensitive that they did develop a lot of strong thoughts and feelings. I personally did endure teasing, bullying, and stupid questions and laughing and giggling at my stuttering. Um, I've met adults who have told me no one had ever teased them, yet uh, the adult would present to me as a covert stutterer, someone who spent their day, their week, their month attempting to conceal the stutter. It's very interesting. So when you... Um, Back in 07, when we worked together, I planted a seed for you to join Toastmasters. Toastmasters helped me to change my life. Tell us a little bit about um, why you joined it back in 07, what your motive was. Yep, so that was, I, I got my first professional job at the end of 2006. And I think prior to that, there was, like it, as far as when I had to, to talk, it was really up to me. So like you said, that it was, it was a lot easier to either hide the stutter or if I just wasn't feeling it that day, just, okay, well, I can go to school and study and just not really talk. <laughs> and it really wasn't that difficult. But like once you get in the professional world, it, it's really difficult to do that if you want to have a good career. And you know, I, I, I've always wanted to be successful. Um, and I didn't really want anything to, to hold me back. So whether it was a technical challenge, then I wanted to try to tackle that as much as I possibly could, uh, you know, by studying and learning new programming languages or whatever it may be. Um, but I also, you know, I, I noticed very early on in my career that I would I was stuttering more than I ever have in my entire life. It was very situational, but those situations were felt like every every hour so whether i was on a phone call with a customer you know talking to maybe my my boss's boss or just chit-chatting in you know near the water cooler <laughs> like it was it was just it felt like it was non-stop and i never really experienced that in my life and i know that like i i was very embarrassed by it i felt like that it was I, I was putting a lot of meaning behind it, which I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that I was doing that at the time until I was t talking with you. Um, mm -hmm. But I was definitely putting, okay, well, if I go to the water, water cooler, or the Coke fountain, and I, and I stutter, that means that, you know, five years from now that I'm not going to get a promotion or something like that. Like I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was definitely, um, I had thoughts like that going on a lot. Yeah. Um, 
and then as far as joining Toastmasters, like I, I've always, you know, wanted to tackle my 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 fears, and if something is holding me back, I and I and I want to succeed at it, that I will try to to tackle it. So you know, that's when I started going to you, and I also joined the Toastmasters club, and I think my my number one goal was to really be a better speaker, but also just a better communicator. Like I, I really wasn't extremely interested in being like the best storyteller, or the like the best right. like public speaker. I just wanted to you know learn how to you know have an effective conversation in a meeting and not get so like mm-hmm. anxious about it. Yeah. So I yeah and I remember like one of my very I think it was after my icebreaker or after my second or third speech, the person who evaluated me you know I I was extremely tense Um, I was probably stuttering a lot and you know she she was being extremely helpful and and very very nice about it but at one point she's like you know you just need to just come up here and just you know kind of go go crazy and kind of dance around and she was just moving her arms around (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. almost like dancing up there and I was looking at her like how in the world am I ever going to be able to do that like I I was so nervous Mm -hmm. to even get up and just do that but I tried it and that helped a lot too and that just kind of made me interesting like really calm calm down because I I don't know I was just so self-conscious I guess about stuttering up there that it just impacted everything So I guess her notion was if you got up there and wiggled and danced a little bit, you'd get out of your comfort zone, express your body, be a little bit silly and um, depersonalize something that's a little bit different, maybe. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, I know so many people who have gone in, for example, they'll dance or they'll perform in an instrument excel in sports as a, a means of expression or art. Um, but you come back to, you said around age tw- 26 when you began your first career. And it sounds like the more meaning you attached to stuttering, it spread from social situations to the water cooler, as you mentioned, to business, to meetings. And the more we try not to stutter, the more we do, the more it can consume us. Yeah. But then going to going to, to 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 Toastmasters was awesome for you back then, and in a minute we're going to get to your new Toastmasters run. It's different. Okay, so as a cloud solutions architect, and you mentioned that you are tier two speaker qualification. What does that mean to people who are who are who are hearing that this podcast? So I that effectively means that I'm allowed to, you know, go to speak at webinars or public facing events and that I'll be trusted to, you know, kind of stay on message and just to be a quality speaker. (laughs) Nice. And your webinars, once they've been online for a little while, it's possible that hundreds of thousands of people will have heard them. It's, it's possible. I, I don't know if they've ever got to that okay. large of an audience before. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the webinars can, can be, you know, private where they're maybe hosted in, internally or maybe they are public. Um, and again, whether that's on YouTube or 
somewhere mm -hmm. else. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, this was the very first time that my spoken voice was ever in the public domain that yes. I stuttered. And that yes. the first one that I did was at the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I remember being, that's all I could think about on, on the, you know, prep for it and just getting yep. ready. I think I had talked for like 15 minutes and that's all I could think about is like now the world's going to know that I, that I stutter, <laughs> but after it, it was like, that really wasn't that mm -hmm. big of a deal. And I listened to it and I, yeah, I did stutter a few times and it wasn't. So you, you reached out to me right about the, the first of the year. Mm -hmm. You had leverage on yourself. There were you, for example, you'd begun to project. There were acronyms and lingo within your work that you feared stuttering on. And this is common for adults who stutter. Maybe an attorney has a list of words that are commonly used in the courtroom or in legal proceedings that he or she may fear. A physician could fear the name of a prescription medicine after stuttering on it a lot different procedures, an MRI, a CT, whatever. So in your case, you had specific acronyms and lingo and feared words. And that's where the cognitive part of stuttering comes in. Maybe it wasn't until your mid-30s when some of these words came into your life. Now explain, explain to people, how can a adult who stutters develop a phobia of a word or a sound yeah it's it is something that i never you know really thought about like i i growing up i don't ever remember having feared words ever um but my my very first job out of out of college i was i was in what they call edi so it's electronic data interchange. My title had EDI in it. My department was EDI. Um, you know, there, uh, there is a lot, a lot of acronyms like that, uh, mm -hmm. along with various other acronyms. And I remember when I was like interviewing for the job and when I learned, like I, I never really knew what EDI was prior to getting this. I, I feel like that I got lucky mm -hmm. to get the job in general, but I, I, I don't remember stuttering on that. It's really, it's after I got the job and that probably first day, and I was a mess that very first day. I remember talking, like I met my boss's boss for the first time. I was meeting the whole team and I was uh -huh. like 12 years younger than everybody on, yep. on the team with zero experience. And I was having trouble, you know, getting a lot of words out that day. But I, I think that's, that's where I just had a lot of bad memories about the word EDI from then on. And then like, every call that I had, I had to introduce myself as an EDI developer. And now, like right now, I'm saying it a lot, but there's yep. a chance that, you know, a, a week from now, if I was in maybe a different situation, that that, that word would, would be more difficult, um, which I'm working on, you know, with, with, with your help, of course. Um, and it doesn't really, I think that we talked about this, like I don't apply anywhere near as much meaning to the word EDI as, as I used to. Right. Um, just there it is, the meaning. So this falls yeah. under what's called the three P's. You punctuate it, you personalize it, and it becomes pervasive. Yeah, and it was... Particular words, pervasive. particular sounds attach meaning, things like shame, embarrassment, frustration, or anger about the consistent stuttering on these words. And it's like, it becomes self-fulfilling. 
I, I'm an attorney. I start working for King and Spalding, which is a huge firm here in Atlanta. I start stuttering on King. I get hired out of graduate school or out of law school to go to King and Spalding. I was freaking out for me because it's, it's a huge firm here in Atlanta. However, I start stuttering on the word. And then I start trying to avoid it like somebody... Um, I bump into somebody, they go, hey, man, did you get a job? I'm like, yeah, well, where, which, which firm? Uh, what, what, one of Atlanta's biggest. And then somebody goes, oh, do you mean, do you mean King of Spall? Yeah, King of Spall, like they'll say it for me. So um, you start having difficulty on a specific word and sound and there it goes. So you've lived that, you've learned through CBT how to go in and find the specific beliefs about stuttering. So the reduction of anxiety, you said the reduction of meaning. The reduction of anxiety makes it easier to say EDI or any other lingo or acronyms. That's the special sauce. It's not just speech mechanics, EDI. E begins in your larynx, it's a vowel, it's a long vowel, EDI. But like sports, if I'm thinking, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. I go to say EDI and, and I end up blocking on it. Then I punctuate it. Oh my God, this word I have to use all the time I'm stuttering on. Do you, do you, do you, do you want to add on to that? Yeah. And I think for, for me, I, I got so caught up and, you know, I think I, I, I still do sometimes on, you know, feared words, whether it was EDI, you know, a decade ago or a different, acronym or something different now and the way that I'd like to think about it is um, you know and at, at work we have these um, this this cloud service that allows you to stream data so you're able to stream all all this data so let's just you know say that you're streaming like log files for example but then there's a way that you can like attach a function to that stream and that function can manipulate the stream. Mm -hmm. Like, so the, at the very end of it, it looks different than what that, that stream actually had in there, wh whether you're trying to like remove sensitive data or add additional data or whatever it may be, like you're allowed to change it. And that's what I feel like stuttering is. And that's like, at least for me, like for that feared word that that's like the, the end of the stream. And I, and I can just, you know, all my thoughts are fine. Like my, I know what I want to say up until that feared word, but I have so much effort and I just thought about, okay, what's going to happen when, when I get there? You know, mm -hmm. What technique am I going to use this time? Of course, this was prior to meeting with you again, um, but it's like the whole conversation for me stops at that word. And then once I get past mm -hmm. that word, I have to re regroup as fast as I can to try to remember what the heck I've, I've been talking about to you know, continue on the conversation. And I know that there's times that I, you know, I know for sure that I'm not as, you know, su successful in my message that I want to get out because I'm so focused on that word. And then now when I get past that word, now I can, you know, maybe start worrying about the next word that I think may be coming up. But like, as I've worked with you and with, you know, CBT and just taking a step back where I don't get so worked up about that word that I have, you know, techniques to just I, mm. I go through it. Like I, I, yep. I if, if I'm not trying to, you know, word switch or like you described, you know, have somebody else try to say the word for me. Like I've used all those t techniques yep. before. 
But if I, if I just attack it and go towards it, and then my brain can actually focus on my message and that makes the rest of my conversation a lot better. I love um, that. Go into the word, look and let it out. Look at the person, let it out. Yeah. And even if it's I stutter on it, it's, mm -hmm. it's better. It's like, I w at this point, I would rather block and uh, like I said, like look them in the eye or the virtual eye nowadays. And, <laughs> or maybe if I can't see them, just know in my heart that it's still the right way to go and right. just go like through it. Approach the word, enter the word. You know, it's interesting because we, as you mentioned, use the word technique. And I'm gonna distill it right down to this. What is the technique in EDI? The technique, if we call it a technique, it is to initiate your, your vocal cords, your larynx, making sure that you do it on the exhalation, EDI. If you stretch the E just a little bit, exhale is critical because if you inhale before it, you're gonna block. Like, so if you avert eye contact, you probably block. If you put ums in, well, um, um, EDI, that's not a solution. So if, if we say, what's the technique? Well, the te technique is saying the word as you exhale. Turn on the vocal cords, you might stretch them just a little. That's it. What messes up EDI is the panic, the shame, the fear of stuttering. It's like my last name. At least until age 25, if I had to call somebody and say my last name on the telephone, my blocks were silent. People would say, hello, is someone there? And they would hang up. You would think that I would have had my last name mastered by approximately age four, I'm gonna take a, take a gander. Yet here it is, age 25, 26, and it's one of the most fearful words on the planet for me. What would have been my technique? Would have been to start humming and go, Macasey. What got in the way? Panic, fear, shame, embarrassment. The three Ps, punctuating it, you know, uh, stuttering on the phone, being hung up on literally for a decade, or somebody asking me my last name and just sitting there blocking on it, having stupid quips like, what's the matter? Did you forget your name? Those are people who didn't know I really stuttered. So technique. There's a lot, a lot of ways we can mess up the ability to say a specific word. So then we fast forward to 2021 and you and I start working together and you have a list of acronyms and lingo. And for people to get a glimpse of how this works, Josh would close his eyes and go back to a specific timeline event. This is called timeline therapy. I believe I have a podcast about timeline therapy. So he would go back to a specific webinar in which he had anxiety and blocked. And while he's what's called associated, he's feeling like he's in it right then and there. That's when you can extract the unconscious thoughts and feelings like the top 10 forms of twisted thinking, beliefs about stuttering, projections, black and white thinking, should statements, discount the positive. One of the things we discovered is it's so easy to discount the positive that you are credentialed, you know your stuff, you're a cloud solutions architect, tier two qualified speaker, yet we can be so caught up in don't stutter. Isn't that right? Absolutely. <laughs> Just discount yeah. the positive. The five year, the attorney has been practicing for five years, 
was freaking out every time he stutters near our partner. Discount the positive. Um, what do you want to add to some of the unique aspects of going virtual? So many people have had to go virtual. What are some other things that you discovered about virtual? Yeah, so I, and I think that even people who, who don't stutter have, have had to deal with the, I guess what they are calling Zoom, Zoom fit, fatigue mm. nowadays, where I think it's, I think for everybody, it's, it's harder, but I think it's especially harder for people who stutter. And I, I, I've thought about it a lot. And I, 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 like, even whether I'm on video with somebody or not on video with somebody, I, I don't know if it makes, I, maybe being on video makes it a little bit easier so I can try to look into their eyes, but it, it's still, it's just so different. And I don't, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified to even answer the question because I've thought about it so long and I have like a, different answer every, every time that I think about, mm -hmm. you know, like, I guess maybe what's making it so much, so much more difficult, but it, it definitely is like, there is, I remember like when the pandemic first started, I was talking, um, and this was a, a previous job of mine. And I was like, it, it was the, one of the first times that I was blocking on a word that I literally thought that it was never going to come out like I had to it felt mm -hmm. like a year for me I, I don't know if it, it may have been about you know 20 20 seconds or so but I've never experienced that before but it was like you know when we first mm -hmm. went virtual um, you know things were locked down I wasn't getting anywhere near the social interaction that I would normally get whether mm -hmm. it's you know at work or with, with my with my with my family yep I, I had I'd never experienced that before and it really scared me <laughs> and then it I kind of went downhill from there for a little bit like I was blocking more and more with big big blocks um, mm -hmm. and again it was whether I was on video or not um, yeah and it it really it made me you know want to have as little interaction during the days as possible yeah. and just have my head stuck in code and that's that's what I wanted to do mm -hmm. um, but then I realized you know, that's not, it's not healthy. That's not fruitful. Yeah. And I, I really do like talking to people. I, I, I enjoy connecting with people. So I, you know, just fought that yeah. feeling and, you know, wanted to be. Well, one of the things after interviewing adults who stutter for the last 29 years and being in, in support groups and whatnot, most people who stutter prefer in-person experiences because I can look at the body language and the reaction of somebody to my speech. If I'm sitting at a board table, like a board, boardroom table, there's eight people in a, in the, on the table, around the table, and I'm talking, I can look at each person and see how they're reacting to me. Sometimes that's healthy, sometimes it's not. However, it's first person, I can see it. Now, if I'm on a Zoom room right now, my microphone, when it picks up voice, I appear as a thumbnail. So let's pretend we're going around in our Zoom room and there's a pause, somebody ends and I'm trying to come in with my voice, but I'm blocking. But then the microphone picks up, it's Tim's mic. And then I appear 
in the middle of the screen having a huge speech block. I might not have ever had that experience before. And I, there's little thumbnails of other people. I can project what are they thinking. I can also put a criteria like I know Susan, Chase, Jacob, and Claire, but those other people, I've never met them. Now they're finding out I stutter. What do they think? Which comes back to maybe I could have disclosed. Which is, which is another topic. You're doing more and more of that 2021. However, it sets up the dynamics, unfortunately, to project. What are these people thinking of my stuttering? And because I'm not in person, a lot of it is what I imagine. I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder if they now know I stutter and what are they thinking? So that's something unique about these virtual things. Other people can worry that it's recorded and it's going to be out there in the in the in the ether on the World Wide Web. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that we've joked about because you're you're in IT is my expression, uh, running an an antivirus program, finding all the malware, which are negative uh, thoughts and feelings, which we've done. I like to teach adults how to use CBT independently of me. So if they have what I call a timeline moment, a moment that bothered them, they have a skill set to go back and evaluate what was I thinking or feeling in that moment and to reframe it. You're also learning how to prepare. Do you, do you want to share with some people what is something you do in your mind to get ready for? You had a big, a big web, web, webinar about a week ago. What did you do inside your mind to prepare for it first? And then what did you do with your speech? Yeah, so inside my mind, it, it was I, I, it was reframing how I, I pictured it. So I, I think that you've talked a lot about the, the movies that we play in our head. And yeah. I, I think, you know, at the very beginning phases when I, you know, signed up to do the webinar and you know i'm excited i'm kind of preparing the material but there's still a you know big, big piece of that that i'm just playing a negative movie where i'm just up there and stuttering a lot and not able to get the words out and i lose my my meaning and then it just kind of you know goes downhill from there but then i start applying meaning to okay well if that if that movie happens then what's going to happen after that and so on and it just snowballs um, so I think one of the very first things, and I remember, you know, sitting outside my house, it was like one of the first sunny days of the spring. And I just sat out there, closed my eyes, just felt the sun on my face <laughs> and was thinking a lot about, you know, the things that, that you were teaching me. And yeah. I just completely within 10 minutes, I feel like I was able to reframe that whole, like just the, the whole movie that was being played was nice. now you know, really focused on my, my message and what yep. that did, it allowed me to, to free up and actually, you know, instead of really worrying about the negatives of what was going to happen, it allowed me to prepare a, a lot more for it. But it also wasn't like for a week or two, every morning, I wasn't waking up with, with, with dread <laughs> either about having to, you know, speak at, at the webinar, which, which I, I, I volunteered for as well. So I just, you know, nice. I, part of me, like, I feel like that sometimes that, you know, there's that part of me that just is like, say yes to everything, just to get out there and just do your best. And then there's the other part that, you know, is 
like why why did you sign up for this <laughs> why why are you doing this um, one of the things that we can learn through through toastmasters is to be ready to do a toast or being asked to read at a funeral or a wedding or be part of a meeting to toastmasters will help you develop courage that you're willing to to write to write to raise your hand and talk um if those for, for those of you who haven't um tried toastmasters yet just go to toastmasters.org and find a group that works for you um yeah so i tell people check your movie like and if you feel anxiety in your soma which is the area between your larynx and your stomach if you feel anxiety that means that you're running a movie about stuttering i don't want to stutter because if i do this or that will happen and then learning how to use CBT to ask yourself questions to figure out what specifically am I projecting on my listeners? What am I thinking or feeling that's causing this anxiety? We don't ask why, we ask how. How am I doing this? What do I believe about the possibility of stuttering? Sometimes a past experience is a trigger for the future experience. So tell us, um, now you've actually chartered uh, Toastmasters group. Please share about that. Yep. So when I started at the company that I'm at now, we um, we were in a big period of growth and we all onboarded virtually. So there was, you know, several people there. And then there was also a lot of people who had already, um, you know, been a part of the company. But of course, everybody was virtual at the time. Um, <laughs> but we also all of us came from, I guess, different backgrounds, whether we came from maybe a more business focused background where we were really comfortable with, um, you know, public speaking and, you know, trying to sell ideas, for example. And then we, then there was a lot of us who came from a more technical background where we probably, you know, spent more of our, our, our time behind a computer screen and code than maybe in front of, executives for example so there was mm -hmm. a lot of people um who we who would probably all say that they needed to work on, on on their soft skills so you know as i was onboarding and i knew that i was you know having to practice public speaking i was in front of a lot more people than i had been in 10 years um and i and i was i think we already talked about it <laughs> that i i felt like that i was also stuttering more than i than i had in a decade mm -hmm. as well um so I, I really wanted to practice more and I wanted to practice with, you know, real live people because I could practice all my, on my own, all, all I want. And it, mm -hmm. it's not as productive as if I'm practicing in front of people. And also, you know, I'm boarding with, a, uh, with a lot of people and just starting at a company where you've never really met anybody face to face. It's hard to have those. It's, it's just hard to learn about each other and Toastmasters is by far, in my opinion, the best place to learn about coworkers because people have to give five to seven minute presentations. Oh, cool. I didn't about, thought of that. Yeah, like about what they the care about breaker. the most. Yeah, whether it's the icebreaker or future speeches, like they people normally pick a topic that they're passionate about. So we get to learn, you know, about people's childhoods and you know I like that. What what their hobbies are. And it mm. like that is probably the number one reason why I'm glad that we started the club. But yeah, we, we went through the process. We, you know, um, we found at least 20 people to, to mm -hmm. start and, and 
the, the company that I work for has about six or seven other Toastmasters clubs. So we, we partnered with one that was based out of Virginia um, to, to be our mentor club and help us on board to the process uh, so that they were a great help. Um, yeah, it's been. This is great. <laughs> the guy with the stutter jumpstarts a new Toastmasters charter. It reminds me of the Bible when the one disciple with the stutter gets sent to speak to the Pharaoh to lead the people out of Egypt, right? A Moses, of course. So this is brilliant. See, this is a change in purpose and intention. You, you indicated the first time you joined Toastmasters, it was a sort of, I want to protect my career by joining Toastmasters which it did help you, you gained a lot of courage. This one is even more profound to have the courage to help charter a brand new club, which is thriving, I understand. So tell us about Josh's rules. When we were doing C CBT together, we would find what I call in internal rules. Do you wanna share one that you used to have? Yes, and I, I think the one that I still hear your voice on when you said it. <laughs> it was around, um, it, 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 I think I said something along the lines, like I'm, I'm fine if I stutter, I just am not fine if I block. And you're like, well, that's Josh's rule. Like wh who decides if it's okay to stutter, but not block or, mm -hmm. you know, not, block and stutter you know I and and I I remember you saying that and I never really thought about okay well I, I don't really know you know that it's not really logical what I just said but but that there, there's a lot of other ones I, mm -hmm. I I think that I was I, I still sometimes discount the positive I still do a, um, a lot of black and white thinking and yeah. when, when I when I catch myself I hear in my ear well, that's Josh's rule about X, Y, Z. Well, there's an expression that I don't know if I coined it, but in reframing, people have what are called internal rules. So for example, I had an attorney I was helping and he said that when he approaches the jury, if he stutters, they won't believe him. After asking him some more questions, he had been practicing for say six years. And I, I asked, have you ever won a case? He said, yes, of course I've won some cases. But he has also told, uh, told me that every day in court he stutters. So if the rule was true, when you approach the jury and you stutter, you're not believed, then he would have never won a case. So that was his rule. People will say, if it's a group of 10 or less, I'm comfortable. But once we hit 10 or above 11, then all of a sudden they freak out. That's their internal rule. Someone who is re recording their outgoing voicemail and keep recording it over and over and over again to get the one without the big stutter, what's the big stutter? So for you, if the definition is a block, we ask ourselves, well, okay, do we measure the block by time duration? Do we measure it by auditory, like loud? Is it long? Is it loud? How do we define a block? And how do we know when our listener has determined that that particular stutter, that one right there is problematic. Right. But if we're speaking 
and we cross the threshold and violate a rule, we panic. That's the thing. Once I have a big stutter in my presentation, everything goes sideways, the wheels come off. Well, what's the big stutter? And according to whom? And how do we know who it affected? But these rules are so rigid, they're hypnotic. I had a rule when I came out of graduate school, as a licensed speech pathologist, I can never ever stutter again. My speech must be exquisite, like Dan Rather in his prime, Barack Obama, like I can never stutter again, was my criteria. Guess how that worked out? I had what we call an exacerbation, my volcano blew. So you had an exacerbation of sorts coming into the end of 2020, and you're doing great. Now, telling people you stutter, which in the industry we called disclosure, you're doing more of that. Tell me, how is, dis how is disclosure helpful to Josh? Yeah, I, and I was thinking about this earlier today a lot, uh, but I, I guess it's twofold. The, the first one is, is that I'm not thinking about it anywhere near as much as I would if I did not disclose. And I used to have Josh's rules around who I'm allowed to disclose to. Okay, I'm allowed to wow. disclose to my manager, but maybe I can't disclose to one of my peers or maybe vice versa, or maybe I can to this person, but maybe not to my customer. Um, and once I started to ignore, or, or I guess not ignore, but recognize those mm -hmm. that I was doing that, and I disclosed, you know, more and more whether, and it was a lot of different um, people, and mm -hmm. it, it really opened up, <clears throat> I think, a lot of confidence because every single time that I did it, I got a positive reaction. Either oh, every time you did it, a positive reaction every single time that Beautiful. I've done it. Yeah, like no one, and, and that's another thing, like with, with stuttering, maybe besides being younger, um, but as an adult in a professional life, there has never once been someone that has come up to me and said, you know, either made fun of me or you need to do it this way, or you're never gonna be successful yeah. or like all the stuff that I tell myself, there's not been one person ever, ever, ever to, to tell me that. And of course, I can mind read them all, all I want. And I know that that's what they're thinking, <laughs> but that's not like, and I say that jokingly, cause how do I, like, I have no idea what they're thinking. And most of the time is proven by disclosing that they are, they are not thinking that. And that's deep. So projecting is imagining we know we're being judged. And every time you've disclosed, it has defied what you thought people were thinking. And the more you disclose, the less anxiety you have, the less meaning you attach to centering. That's, that is the therapeutic value of disclosure. And disclosure acceptance kind of go together. I always say that they're the toll booth. You gotta pay the toll to get to evolution. Right now you're in evolution. I also think it's important that you can disclose, you can tell people you stutter, and you can also make personal goals. For example, you can say, I would like to be able to say all those acronyms and all that lingo, introduce myself and introduce key speakers. Like if there's a speaker after me, it's etiquette to introduce them. 
and name, name them, their certifications, their title. I used to be afraid to introduce people. I was embarrassed if I stuttered on their name. So it's possible to go through acceptance and disclosure and also enjoy playing chess with stuttering. That's, that's, that, that's my expression. That um, you can find enjoyment in getting the acronyms and work lingo all consistently smooth. That can be enjoyable. So we can do both. Yep, I, I, I definitely agree with all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Some people look at acceptance and disclosure kind of like acceptance, it is what it is. So in 2021, I accept that I'm a person who stutters and I love and embrace my stutter. After that, there's no growth. It's just, it is what it is. The thing is, it's very important. Again, acceptance leads to evolution and everything you're doing with self-therapy, we could call it CBT, the use of a mirror, um, working on words, acronyms, lingo, you're just getting better and better. With Toastmasters thrown in, you're being very proactive. That's the thing. And I'm watching you evolve. I'm watching a lot of adults in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even a 70-year-old evolve very quickly. It's interesting how you can drain a bathtub a lot faster than it took to fill it. We can have years of cognitive distortions about stuttering and you disassemble it, but you can, it can be changed very, very quickly. It took me forever doing it for myself on my own, learning how to do it, but I can, I can help somebody to change their thoughts and feelings and speech a lot faster than it took me. So one bit of advice Please give us a bit of advice. Let's pretend you're uh, parents of a eight-year-old, like a thir third grader whose stuttering is increasing. They're starting to tell you it bothers them. Maybe they've been teased. Any advice for those parents? I would say to have compassion, <laughs> to, to be very open to talk with you know your son or your daughter, you know, as a as a human being like as as maybe someone even that is a little bit older than that and just have you know just just be very compassionate about it know that they are probably trying their hardest to not do whatever they're doing and mm -hmm. that they're probably dealing with some of the most difficult times of, of their life because of this um so it's just very yes. important that when they when when they get home, that they ha that they're in a loving environment, uh, give them a lot of hugs, <laughs> and just know that no matter yes. what happens, no matter what comes yes. out of their mouth, that that Beautiful. they are that they're loved. Yeah. No matter what they come out comes out of their mouth, they're loved. I love that. Also, validate the child. If they say that some kids were mocking their speech or whatever, validate them. Um, talk about how it made them feel or how they felt about it, avoid starting to preach. Like, if you used your strategies, David, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, exactly. Validate the child, let them tell you um, how they feel. 
teach them to disclose they've got to come back. So when some snarky kid copies them, say, I stutter, so what? Shoot it right back at them. What's something that you've learned from stuttering that has made you a better person? Probably the same idea of compassion and just uh, empathy. I, I feel like that I have a lot more empathy that I have gone through this. Mm -hmm. And I, I also believe that, you know, there, there's a lot of things in my life that came, I would say, relatively easy for me, whether it was, you know, school or math or, you know, learning like a new program programming language. Well, I'm, I'm no like expert in any particular language, but I felt mm -hmm. like that I could get the, the job done pretty quickly. But yep. with, with articulating my speech has been extremely difficult and it is not something that comes easy to me. So that is one area that's, you know, requiring me to put a tremendous amount of effort into it um, and learn the correct techniques, a lot of trial and error, but also to be extremely brave. And yeah. I feel like I am a much, like there's times that whether, you know, in at work or outside of work that, you know, I feel like that I, I raise my hand to volunteer, you know, no matter how nervous or, um, you know, how much negative thoughts I may have at that moment about what could happen if I do volunteer, but I still just keep raising my hand because I know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be better off that I did versus shying away from that. And I feel like if yeah. I didn't go through all this and if I didn't stutter, that I would not raise my hand and volunteer and stick my neck out there because I, I know what embarrassment feels like every single day of my life. I'm embarrassed in some form or fashion because of this. I'm better at preparing for it. I'm better at working. Mm. Like, okay. like I'm better at re reframing mm. that, but it's still, yeah. I'm embarrassed every day and I'm working on that, but it's really hard to, I, I just, I'm fine with embarrassment. Like I, I know that I can handle it. That's Whatever deep. may happen. <laughs> That's I deep. Can and stuttering gave that makes me, me that think thing. that makes me think of an athlete who's not afraid to strike out, not afraid to fall when they're when they're learning gymnastics, ice skating, skiing, snowboarding. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. That's the champion that falls off the balance beam, remounts, finishes the routine, dismounts, throws her arms back pretending like she never fell. Then she jogs over and her teammates hug her, her coach hugs her, and she's a champion. She has to clean that memory out before she goes to the floor routine, before the bars, before the vault. It's a being able to forgive ourselves for being imperfect. There's no perfect person. That's deep. I really, really like that. Um, and um, yeah, just... I like people to get into the voluntary stuttering. It takes away meaning from stuttering. It systematically de desensitizes people to stuttering. That can be a potent pill as well. That was important in my, in my self-therapy. Yep. That, and you recommended that I do that. And I, I, I could be better at keeping track of my, of my list and hitting my, my quota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think that has helped you know, release the floodgate over the last few weeks and help, yeah. help me out a lot. But just calling up like, you know, random 
mm-hmm. jiffy loops and asking for an emissions test I, or an oil change. Like I would stutter. Because those were the vowels that we were targeting. Yep. And I, well, I also know use. that your company is an, is an acronym and that somebody can go, could go on to Books A Million and find the acronym and could call and say, hey, do you have any books on acronym? So yes. it's like if someone's name is uh, Jake Davis, they go on to the Books A Million, there's, they're probably going to find an author named Jake Davis. So they're calling and going, hey, do you have any books by Jake Davis? They're saying their own name. So uh, right. do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> That's what you're saying. You yes, said, I- I'd rather raise my hand, even if I stutter, than to hold back. Because remember, there's fight and flight. Fight is blocking. Flight is avoiding. And flight uh, can leave the same malware. For example, I declined to be part of a wedding program because I was afraid to stutter. I was asked, you know, I'm like the the best man. I'm supposed to toast. But I have somebody do my toast for me. You know, then the, the morning after, I'm like, gosh, man. You know, so many people have um, moments when they, they decline, that's flight. And with parents e- enable a child who stutters, parents go and set a pick. They go to the teacher and say, we want Tim to be able to give his book report in privacy in your office at lunch. Every other kid has to do it, but Tim. The other kids are like, well, why didn't Tim have to do it? And then adults are basically saying, Tim, you're not able to do it. It's better to coach Tim, support Tim, get Tim in front of the classroom, even if Tim stutters. You might even talk about stuttering to the class to prepare that Tim's going to do his report and Tim's going to stutter. So fight and flight are important to look at. As you said, disclosure is melting away pounds and pounds of fear. That's so interesting. We can spend decades trying to conceal the stutter we start to disclose, and it's like a rapid diet, if a rapid diet could be healthy. It's one of the few rapid diets that's healthy. Yeah, I think disclosure, maybe, you know, I, I definitely think there's not like one silver bullet, one magic thing that's going to assist, but I think the disclosure was one of the biggest things that, that helped me, I think, get to this point. Um, yes. More than anything, for sure. Uh, and we never apologize during disclosure. Right. Unless a mistake would be like, oh, so I'm sorry, sometimes I stutter. Nor seek pity. Like I've had a lifelong history of stuttering. And so if I stutter in the meeting, then everyone's, you know, kind of comes down. It's, hi, my name is Tim. I'm so glad to be here today to speak to your group. I just want you to know there are times when I stutter. And if I stutter and there's a word you don't understand, just raise your hand. I'll say it again. Let's jump in. No apology. Right. And then you're not jumping around and trying to reword things or word switch or doing all the techniques that we all learn at a very young age of how to handle it. That right. It just obliterates all of that. Like you don't have to worry about that anymore. Or you just don't even think about it because you're like... I've already told them. And they people been- can have what's called split in intentions, where in the back of their mind they say, I'm only gonna disclose if I need to. So they're five minutes into a 14-minute talk and they start blocking, 
And then the mind goes, that's right, I was going to disclose. But then another voice might go, no. No, it's like they've already figured it out. So what's the value of that? What, what would be the value, Josh? So I, I, the value is to then from that point on, <laughs> you don't like, you know, that you're back to where you, you maybe would have been if you just said it That's from the right. beginning, that you're still giving it, you're, you're still giving the stutter power either by stuttering or by avoidance or, you know, mm -hmm. just giving it all that yeah. energy. So go ahead and disclose for the reason you had in mind. And that is to take meaning away. So right. like, like the gymnast that, you know, falls, she gets up. In soccer, you get tackled, it's called. Somebody wipes your legs out and it get hurt. You get up and you pursue the ball viciously. Um, get up. So that would be the reason. So I've just, you know, all, all of the younger people out there are hearing about when you started your first career the dragon breathed is my expression, the volcano exploded, an exacerbation of stuttering. Here I am in the working world, I'm stuttering. Oh my God, what am I gonna do? We started working together. Then we took a 14 year break. We're back together just to clean up some stuff. There were some little, little, some little cookies and some little malware we had to, we had to um, scan identify quarantine and remove from hard, from, from hard drive. I think 2021 is going to be a really big year for you. So um, anyone who, uh, who's listening, you know, stay pumped, stay excited. Hope that you learn from Josh. Anything else you want to add, Josh? I guess the only thing that I, that I want to say that it's still, you know, like, that when you kind of go down the approach of disclosure and just tackling it and mm -hmm. being more open to, to, to failure, that it's, it's not always easy. So I, I think that it should definitely be stated mm -hmm. that um, you, know, right. you were going to have to work hard at it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it seems like there's sometimes, especially in the beginning that I just felt it was in, insurmountable. And I was like, I'm, mm -hmm. Like even the thought of disclosing, especially to like one of my customers, um, was was I just did not want to do it. I I I, I was like I'm not going to do this. I'll I'll, I'll do these other things, but not that. And it's not until yeah. just kind of take a step back and say, if am I going to yeah. do this? Am I going to do it the right way, yeah. the way that Tim is recommending, or am I going to do it Josh's way, which hasn't worked? Um, and I I think that at some point, even though it's still hard, like. You know, I'll probably this week, I'll probably have some pretty tough meetings and things like that. But I, I know how you, to you'll you'll be tested. You'll be yeah, tested. I, I will be tested. So stuttering in many ways is a phobia. So you were facing a phobia. And yeah. we can have years invested in irrational beliefs. One of my podcasts recently was the power of beliefs. A belief is words plus affirmation. If I stutter, I'm incompetent. If I stutter, I'm a burden to my listeners. Words plus affirmation. So when you address some of these very rigid beliefs and you have a fear of stuttering and you're gonna touch the dragon, you know, 
it is, it can be fearful. There's a book, um, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. Um, that's the thing about stuttering. People call it a speech impediment, uh, a, a, a di disorder. Um, it's those things. It's also the biggest thing about stuttering is a phobia. Because otherwise, we would have this list of mechanical techniques. Josh, Tim, EDI. You know, you'd practice how to start the words for, I don't know, a month, and all of a sudden you're not stuttering. If it was just a speech motor, we call it like tongue, lips, and voice. The thing is, it's the panic. It's like the the uh, pro golfer who's made it to the tour, but gets what's called the yips. When it's a critical putt to win a tournament, the golfer chokes. Pitchers choke, batters choke. These are some of the greatest athletes in the world. So the you know fear of failure and fear of success both create anxiety. Josh, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight, man, and. Um, and I, and I wish you well with these, these, this coming week's tests and I'll be seeing you soon. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. It's been a, a pleasure and I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you.